Awesome. Hey, before I get started, I have to apologize. Last time uh, I came up here and spoke, I just started blabbing, and I never actually introduced myself. So for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Sean. Uh, I work on staff here at Chi Alpha. Um, I'm married to Heather, this little Mexican girl. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she spoke a couple weeks ago, and I, I love what I do, guys. I absolutely love what I do. If you haven't seen me before, if you're new, it's usually because I'm hiding in the crowd. Uh, I run sound for our Chi Alpha, so I make sure that our worship sounds good. I record our sermons, which, by the way, you guys can listen to on podcasts. Pretty sick. But my boy Damani's got my back this week. And uh, Damani, could you stand up real quick? Damani. Okay, Damani's being ridiculous, but that's him right there. Um, the reason I, I want to point out real quick Damani's really cool. Um, we met a few years ago, and we didn't really start to get close until this summer. Um, we went on a mission trip to the Czech Republic together, which was really awesome. And I got to see Damani in a new way. And uh, one thing that I saw, which was really cool, was how much he wants to be like Jesus. What I mean by that is we came back from the trip, and Damani asked me, he said, Sean, can you tell me the things that I did well, and could you tell me the things that I can grow in? And I thought that was really cool because most people, they're only concerned about like, hey, wha- tell me what I did well, right? But it was cool because Damani wanted to not only um, know how he could grow, but because he wanted to be more like Jesus. And I know personally, it's been really cool for me to see that in Damani's life. I know I've been challenged to do that, and I think that's something that we could all do. So just want to take a second, talk about Damani. He's awesome. Give it up for Damani. Yeah, he's cool. Cool. So like I said, tonight's going to be cool. And I have to start by telling you about a man. This is a very bigoted man who spreads hate and incites violence and targets and attacks certain groups of people. This is a man who is incredibly privileged and because of his privileges is incredibly arrogant. A man who is highly revered by people like himself and who has very influential people in his pockets. A man who is astonishingly impulsive, terrifyingly emotional, and who feels as though he's actually fighting for justice. A man with a judge, jury, and executioner mentality who breathes threats, approves of violence, and tears people down. I think many of you know who I'm talking about. Yes, I'm talking about a man in the Bible named Saul of Tarsus. Gotcha. (laughs) Saul was a man who would later go on to be called Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. And Saul, this dude was nuts. This dude was, he was, okay, he was an incredibly influential, a very powerful man. But he was also the leading persecutor of Christians from the very outset of Christianity. One could say he was the hipster of persecutors. Like, he did it before it was cool. He did it before the Romans. He did it before all these other people in history. He was the first persecutor of Christianity. And he wasn't just, you're like, you're no-show guy. Like, this dude was, was crazy. He would kill people, right? It even says in the Bible that at one point he killed a man, and he stood there as people laid coats at his feet, and he said he approved of it, as if he stood there with a smile on his face, saying, look at what I did. And this dude... This dude, Saul, was nuts. And yet, in the Bible, it says that he goes on to become the apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul. And he's one of the most influential people in all of Christianity. 
And so it begs the question, what could have caused Saul to give up his ways and then adopt the very ways he once attacked? What was compelling enough for Saul to go from the persecutor to the persecuted? And what would be compelling enough for any of us to be willing to follow the beatitude Jesus gives us tonight, which is blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Would you guys pray with me as we start? Jesus, would you speak through me tonight? God, I know that persecution is not a light word, but would you help God this message to not be overwhelmingly heavy? And God, would you give us hope? And would you give us somewhere to go? Would you speak through me and speak to us, Jesus? Pray this in your name. Amen. Guys, Saul, I'm, I'm not letting off on this dude. Saul was a huge deal. This man was super influential. Like, he, okay, he grew up as a Jew and Jewish in like a Jewish household. And, and, and his, the Bible says he was young, which probably meant he was pretty attractive too. So he was young, attractive, smart. And the Bible says he was trained by this guy named Gamaliel. Doesn't mean much to any of you guys, right? Essentially, I mean, Gamaliel, it, it was like if you were trained by Gandhi, you're set for life, right? Like, you, c- you don't have to turn in a resume. You just have to write, Gandhi trained me, and put a picture of you, and you're like, you're getting hired. Like, you're, you're good. And that's kind of like, Gamaliel was like that. In fact, Jewish historians say that Gamaliel was by far the most influential Jewish teacher that Judaism has ever had. And this was the guy that Saul trained under. And you ask, what did Saul train to become? Saul trained to be a holy man, a devout man, a man of God, right? And so he goes on to be that, and Saul is revered by the people around him as this this very religious man. But Saul wasn't just a religious man. He was also had a lot of authority because he was born as a Roman, which he had privileges and authority that many people did not have simply because of where he was born. And so you have this young, attractive, top of his class, zealous, influential, authoritative person. And everything is going right in Saul's life, except that there's one thing that he can't stand. It's disdain in society, and it's Christians. And so Saul goes Rambo, and he feels that it's his personal duty to take out these Christians, right? He's a religious man. These Christians are going against his God, the things that he stands for. And so as this, this leader in religion, he says, it's my job to take care of them. <laughs> and so Saul goes nuts. Like I said, this man was, was no joke. And he killed people. He was actually present at the first martyrdom. A martyrdom just means to be killed for your faith. He was present at that. In fact, it was even inferred that he might have ordered it. And yet knowing that Saul would go on to be this terrible person, and then that after that, he would become the apostle Jesus. That's nuts. And yet, in spite of what what Saul did, in spite of the things that he did to Christians, it wasn't a surprise to the Christians of the day because Jesus had said to them that they would be persecuted. Jesus had told them that this would be to come. In the Bible, we see it in um, passages like Matthew 10, 23, when you are persecuted. In Luke 21, 12, they will seize you and persecute you. John 15, 20, they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Even our passage tonight says, blessed are those who are 
persecuted, not those who might be persecuted. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will be persecuted. Now, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I, I don't want to be persecuted. I, I would l- gladly go my whole life with no one telling me anything awful about myself or attacking me or taking my stuff. <laughs> like, no one wants to be persecuted, right? Like, no one is sitting in their seat right now going like, ooh, ooh, me next, me next. Like, hit me over the head because you don't agree with me. Like, attack me because you don't like what I believe. Like, no one's doing that. I'd, I've never seen it, right? Uh, and as a Christian, I don't want to be persecuted for my faith. But that's not what Jesus says. And there's at least some comfort in knowing what is to come. It's the same way when you go to a doctor and you're about to get a shot, right? Whoever hate does people people hate needles? Right. But there's at least some comfort when the doctor says, I'm about to prick you, it's going to hurt. There's comfort in knowing that the pain will come. And it's at least bearable. And so this persecution that Jesus speaks of is not, it's not an arbitrary persecution. It's not like you're persecuted for the sake of, <laughs> for the sake of persecution. You're not persecuted just because Jesus says you will. He says in the Beatitude that it's persecuted for righteousness sake. So what, what is righteousness sake? Well, righteousness in the Bible, if you remember, if you were here when Charles spoke, righteousness just means to be in right standing with God. And so to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness just means to be persecuted for the sake of doing what is right in God's eyes. But that doesn't seem right. To be attacked for doing the right thing? I mean, aren't you supposed to be rewarded when you do the right thing, not punished? But the thing is, In the kingdom of God, it's not about just doing the right thing. It's about doing the right thing God's way. And so this is why the kingdom of God is so different from the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of the world, it says do right by others and by yourself. But in the kingdom of God, it's do right by what God says. And so the kingdom of God stands in stark opposition to the kingdom of the world. If in the kingdom of God you cherish abstinence before marriage, your life will be an attack on people who love free sex. If you embrace self-control, your life will be a statement against those who love acting on impulse. If you live a happy life that is simple, you will show the shallowness of luxury. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will reveal the inferiority of laziness. If in the kingdom of God you speak with compassion, you will expose the callousness of a man's heart. If you are earnest, you will make the slacker look foolish instead of wise. If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. And so in the kingdom of God, when you stand for what's right in God's eyes, you stand against an attitude that says, me first. When you stand up for something, you inevitably stand against something else. And we see this, this isn't just the Bible. This is, this is for real life. Go turn on the news. You'll see people that are persecuted and attacked for a whole slew of things that they believe. Some very noble, very noble causes to be persecuted for. And others, quite frankly, are stupid. And <laughs> I just so happen to have a very stupid one that I brought with me today. I brought a video, I found this video on YouTube 
Guys, I don't even know how to preface this. It's just stupid. So I'm just going to put it up here, and I'm going to let you guys. It's in a different language, so just read the, the, the subtitles. But this is ridiculous. This line's my favorite. It's obvious I'm a cat when I start meowing. <laughs> okay, listen here. <laughs> this girl thinks she's a cat. This is ridiculous. I, I'm not even kidding. Like, I was like, okay, surely this is a joke. It's not a joke. It's a, a legitimate thing where it's they think that they're a different species. And this girl, they g I mean, you kind of saw at the beginning, the newscaster's kind of like laughing. They don't really take her seriously. The comment section, if you've ever been on a YouTube comment section, oh my goodness, they tore this girl apart. And yet this girl is willing to be ridiculed and torn down and attacked for what she believes. Right? That, that's stupid. Come on. A cat. No one's a cat, but it just goes to show that this, okay, this woman was willing to stand for her belief that she was a cat, which meant she stood against the society, the norms of society, right? When you stand for something, you stand against something as well. And in the kingdom of God, when you stand for what God says is right, you stand against the world. And when you stand against the world, you will be persecuted. This is why Saul attacked the Christians. This is why he, he had been put in a place where, where his surroundings caused him to have dignity and respect and honor. And these things that these Christians stood for went against the very thing that gave him his dignity and respect and honor. And so because of this own personal conviction plus his feeling of, of being responsible for the, the people around him because he was a holy man, he took it upon himself to attack and remove the world of these Christians. And guys, when I, I, I have said it multiple times, and I will, not, I, I will say it again. Paul was terrifying. He was a terrifying man. The Bible says that he would drag people, literally drag people to prison. It says that he would breathe murderous threats. That he actually at one point traveled halfway across the country just to get some Christians. And that he even killed them. It says that he was present at Stephen's death. The first Christian martyr. Saul was a terrifying man. And he had started something. Saul started 2,000 years of the most bloody persecution. This man was responsible for the start of it. And guys... This persecution, hundreds of millions of Christians have been persecuted. I'm not talking about people who died. I brought a book with me tonight. I want you guys to see this. This book is over a 1,000 pages. It's over 10 pounds. It's called Martyr's Mirror. It's only recorded martyrdoms, which means to be killed for your faith. 
That, that means that the people who were beaten for their faith, the people who had their houses burned down, who were split from their family, who were fired from their jobs, who were kicked out of their countries because they stood for righteousness, this book doesn't record that. This only talks about the people who died. That's insane. There, there is countless, countless people who have suffered for the name of Jesus. People like a man named Focus in the first century who was thrown into a boiling water-filled lime kiln for his faith. People like a woman named Philestius who had her seven sons killed one by one before her very eyes, before then she was killed. People like Ignatius, everyone knows about this, the people who were thrown into the great Colosseum to be devoured by lions because they would not forsake righteousness. There were Christians throughout the ages that had hot irons pressed against their skin and told to renounce Jesus. There were Christians that were dragged behind bulls or stuck in a bag. This one, this one messes me up. They were stuck in a bag with snakes and, and scorpions to be slowly killed by the venom because they refused. They refused to forsake righteousness. And guys, this is only the first century A.D. That's the first century from there. What about the people all throughout the ages who were mar martyred or persecuted? Men like John Huss, who in the 1400s, this man stood against the religious corruption of his day and was burned at the stake, buried, dug back up, burned his bones, buried them again, and then dug them back up for a third time because they wanted to erase the, me the memory of this man. Or what about persecution today? Just recently, back in the end of August, I read an article about 11 Syrian Christians, indigenous Christians, who were persecuted for their faith. It says that the, in the article that the women were raped publicly before they were beheaded, and that the men were forced to watch as one of their sons had his fingertips cut off, and then they crucified the boy and the men. Crucified. People are still crucified today. Literally crucified. And with all this, with all that history can attest to, with all the persecution that people have faced throughout the ages for the sake of righteousness, it still begs the question, what could have compelled them? What was compelling enough for these Christians throughout the ages to stand for righteousness and to follow Jesus? What was compelling enough for Saul this crazy man who persecuted Christians to become the persecuted. What would be compelling enough for you to be willing to have your family look, look down on you, treat you terribly? To be willing, what would be compelling enough for you to take a failing grade in a class because your professor tells you you have to write a paper defending something that God does not defend? What would be compelling enough for you to potentially be fired because you will not do something unethical because you know what God says to be right. What would be compelling enough for you to, will, to, to lose friends for the sake of righteousness? To lose reputation because you stand for righteousness? What would be compelling enough for you and for me to choose this? And I believe that it is in the story of Saul, that we see what is compelling enough. And Saul gives an account of what was. And it's in Acts 22, verses 2 through 10. I'll put it on the screen. 
Then Saul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, or Gandhi, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council could themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went to Damascus to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. He replied, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Then I asked him, what shall I do, Lord? What? Something happened. Something happened in this transaction that was compelling enough for Saul to see that Jesus was not only Lord, but then to ask him, what should I do? And then actually obey what Jesus told him to do. Something happened in this transaction that was compelling enough for, Jesus, for, for, for Saul to go from the persecutor to the persecuted. And do you know what that was? Saul had a revelation of Jesus. It's that simple. The revelation of Jesus was compelling enough for Saul to become the persecuted. He saw that this man, Jesus, was worth far more than anything and that he would gladly be persecuted if he could just follow Jesus. And if you have a revelation of Jesus, you will see the same as Paul. You will see that while the world says one thing, Jesus says another. While the world argues about the existence of God, Jesus dwelt among men as God. While the world debates whether there is anything after we die, Jesus raises men from the dead. While the world argues for the worth of womanhood and the necessity of giving them equal rights, Jesus treats women with infinite respect. While the world talks about serving ourselves, Jesus knelt down and served others by washing their feet. While the world talks about how we should love all people, Jesus actually loves all people. While the world tries to diagnose the disease of humanity, Jesus cures it. While the world speculates on how evil might have entered, Jesus presents himself as the way in which it will leave. While the world asks the question, what is truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. And while the world tries to figure out how pain and suffering can be compatible with the love of God, Jesus took on himself all the pain and suffering of mankind in an act of love on the cross. And it is only when you have a revelation of God, it is only in the revelation of God that the lost become free, the wrecked become redeemed, the hurt become healed. It is only in the, in the revelation of Jesus that the separated become saved, 
The ashamed become accepted. The insecure become immovable. And it is only in a revelation of Jesus that the broken become brave. The brave become beautiful. The beautiful become blameless. And the blameless become his. To be friends with Jesus. To be a follower of Christ. To be a part of his kingdom and his family is worth far more than anything this world has to offer and is worth far more than anything this world can throw at you. If you are a Christian or if you decide to become a Christian, persecution is promised to you. But the blessing of persecution is that persecution roots out religiosity and leaves nothing but pure relationship with Jesus. I'll say that again. The blessing of persecution is that it roots out religiosity and leaves nothing but pure relationship with Jesus. And it is in this pure relationship with Jesus that one can embrace the promise of this beatitude that theirs is the kingdom of God. So I'm going to call the band back up. And as they come back up, our response tonight is very simple. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you as he did to Saul. Our response tonight is to ask Jesus for a revelation of himself. The revelation of Jesus was compelling enough for Saul. The revelation of Jesus was compelling enough for every Christian throughout history who has been persecuted. And the revelation of Jesus is the only thing that will be compelling enough for you and for me. You see, revelation is the basis of truth. We must have something revealed to us before we can fully understand and embrace it. It's not just in the kingdom of God, that's just how our universe operates. And to ask Jesus for revelation does not necessitate that you have to have faith. Just look at Saul. Saul did not believe in Jesus, and he was attacking the people who did. Yet Jesus still revealed himself to Saul. And if Jesus will reveal himself to someone who does not believe and is not asking, how much more will he reveal himself to you if you do ask whether you believe or not? Guys, we all need a revelation of Jesus. Every one of, in this, every one of us in this room. I need a revelation of Jesus. Because if we do not know for whom we are persecuted, we will not be compelled to follow. But if we know Jesus, if we have a revelation of him, of the grandeur and the splendor and the majesty of this man, then we will be compelled to endure anything and give up everything to follow him. I'm going to pray. And would you guys ask Jesus for a revelation? Lord, thank you so much, God. I pray that you've spoken tonight. I pray that you would continue to speak to us, God, in this time of worship.
Lord, you are worthy. And I pray, God, more than anything, that people in this room would see how much you are worth everything. Lord, it's all, it all has to start with the revelation. That's how my life got changed. You revealed yourself to me, God. Would you reveal yourself to every one of us in this room? Christian, non-Christian, unconcerned. God, would you reveal yourself to us? I trust you, Jesus. I trust that you will move. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, we're about to sing one more song. Um, and before we sing it, I want to tell you the story behind it. Um, it's a hymn. But even before that, persecution is not supposed to be something that, it's not a scare tactic. It's not something that's supposed to scare us into loving Jesus. It's a reality that comes with walking with Jesus. And the basis of it is found in finding the worth of Jesus. And so this song that we're about to sing, it's, it, there was a man who lived in India who had come to a saving faith and had led his family to the saving faith in Jesus. And the village found out about it, and the village chief dragged him and his family before the whole, the, the whole town. And they started threatening the man, and they said that if you don't recant your faith, if you don't deny Jesus, then we will kill your family. And we'll start with your kids. And while this man had come to a saving faith, he had written a song that had helped him find the worth of Jesus. And so as these men made these threats, the man began to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And the, the city, the, the council ended up killing his kids. And they said to the man, we will give you one more chance. Re, re, renounce your faith in Jesus. Recant your faith or we'll kill your wife next. And the man continued to sing, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And they killed his wife. And they said one more time, recant your faith or you're next. And he sang the third verse. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. This man knew the worth of Jesus and knew that Jesus was worth far more than anything else. And so as we sing this last song, we sing it as a declaration. I know some of you guys may have given your life to Jesus this year. And you may have never heard this before about persecution. But my prayer is that you would see that Jesus is worth it. And so as we sing this, it will be a declaration.